Oh boy. Listen to those children in the choir sing together. One of them's ready to be a conductor already. I don't know if you could tell. It's learning, learning how to do that. Wonderful, wonderful. Hear those Christmas bells. It says, listen, can you hear in the song? Listen, can you hear? What are your ears open for and what are you ready to hear? Can you hear the beautiful music? Can you hear the joy? Even in a season where we're preparing, where we're waiting, where we might perceive the stage is bare, where we might perceive God's absence sometimes in our life, where we might wonder what's going to happen in this time of preparation, this time of, of waiting and wondering for Christ's child to, to come in and prepare for us. Are we listening? Can we listen to those Christmas bells, but also listen to the voice, the presence of God, to come into those places that just weren't, as it was described, the warm, dark places, but maybe the fearful, dark places as well? Are we ready this Advent season to create such sacred space that we recognize, we recognize love right there, we recognize hope right there in the middle of those places? You probably have some moments in your life that you would call sacred. You probably have some places in your life you would call sacred. For whatever reason, you go back to those places to be restored. You might go back to those people to be restored. What is sacred space in your life? Sometimes, if you haven't paid attention to it, you need to, so you know where you can go at that moment in time to receive a blessing anew, to be intentional about what it means to create that space for you to wonder what it is God has for you in that moment. Whatever is going on in your life, great joy or great sadness, but to know where those spaces are. One of my sacred spaces is an aspen grove. I don't know if you've ever been in one yourself, but it can be springtime where they're all green, it can be during the gold season, it can be in winter where all the branches are bare. But just to be in the middle of a grove on a hill or a mountain and to have the wind rush through that is sanctuary for me. That is a sacred space. And I don't actually have to make the trek to the mountains. I can actually remember. And at home, in my one sacred little rocking chair, I can imagine the aspen leaves there and sit in that sacred space and allow God to be present with me with no words, just in the silence that's there. I want to tell you something about that rocking chair. It became sacred to me by accident. I don't know if that happens to you sometimes. God can surprise you. But a friend of mine, Jean Audrey Powers, was retiring and closing down her home. And she was moving into a care facility in California. And as she was doing all that, she had people walk through her house. But it wasn't just a simple tour. She would say, I need to know what you like because you're going to get it. You know, and you had to say something. You couldn't leave unless you say, said something. And so in her house was this little bitty, small, simple, straight-lined rocking chair. And, and I said, oh, that would be lovely, you know, to have this. Take, her house is in Minnesota, right, and we're in Chicago, so whatever it is has to be shipped to you. And so months later, I get in a huge box on my front porch, a rocking chair, very ornate, upholstered, you know, has feet on it, so it's one of those stationary rockers that goes back and forth like this. Not the rocking chair I said. But Jean Audrey was such a saint, how could you tell her she made a mistake? You know, so I chose to be quiet. About six weeks later, I get a phone call. Did you get the right rocker? And I was caught. 
So she sent the other rocker too. So now I have two rockers from Jean Audrey in my home. But this one that I didn't really care for all that much with the little ornate carvings and the upholstery, upholstery has become my sacred space. It's where my Bible is next to the chair. If I light a candle, it's there. Walter laughs at me sometimes because I have a lap blanket on, look like a granny, you know. But it becomes my sacred space by accident. She sent me the chair she might have wanted me to have. And it's turned out to be a wonderful space for me. You may have some place like that, some corner you go to, some place you create, some moment in time where you find the ability to center yourselves better. You can do that intentionally, and you can do that by habit, so that it becomes easier and easier for you to do. That's a tale of two rockers, you know, and one that I thought was right ended up not being the special one for me. Joseph Campbell says, your sacred space is where you find yourself over and over again. You find yourself over and over again. Somehow you're made whole again. Sometimes you return to the very core of who you are when you're in that sacred space and create that around you, where you find yourself over and over again. When as a community of faith, we find ourselves over and over again at these stories. We come back to them year after year, these stories. We come back to them as sacred space to us to tell them again and again and to find what new is there for us each season because we have to come back to that place of wondering and waiting because God always has something new to be born within us. And so we come back to these stories of Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and we've talked about sacred time and sacred people and now we're going to talk about some sacred space that they create in these stories. So we'll move from a tale of two rockers to a tale of two wombs here. Did you notice there's two wombs in this story? Two pregnant women in this story happen to be relatives in some form or another. One is Elizabeth, and the other is Mary. And between these two women, they're waiting. That sacred space of the womb, hope is being born, joy is being born, and they're waiting. Now, I'm not going to tell you we're a fertility cult, because we're not. You know, we're not worshiping the ability to have children today. And we grieve with those whose lives have brought to them miscarriage and lost children. But we recognize today in this story, this waiting and this hope for something new to be born is something we can identify with. And that it takes time. You have to anticipate. And so Mary gets this story that she's going to have a baby. And she's not sure what all that means quite yet, this teenager. And so she takes a trip to the country. She takes a trip to the country to visit Elizabeth. Because the angel told her Elizabeth was pregnant too. I don't know if you remember that part, but Gabriel's pretty busy in this part of Luke. He's visited Elizabeth, and he's visited Zacharias, and now he's visited Mary, and visited Joseph. So Gabriel gets around in the first part of this gospel story. And so Mary goes where someone might believe her. You know, you're surprised you're pregnant too? You're almost, what, 70 years old? How could it be? How could it be that we're pregnant? So she goes to find Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's been in seclusion for two months, for two trimesters, excuse me, six months. She's been on her own. So I wonder what it means for Elizabeth to have been in seclusion for six months. Remember, her husband has already been struck without a voice. That might have been sacred space all on its own. So here she is, Elizabeth, 
all by herself, this two-person family with one of them not able to talk, and she's been that way for six months. And here comes Mary. And as they find one another, within her, her baby kicks, and the scripture says it in such a way the word kind of means skipped, leaps. The baby leaps. And here we hear the first proclamation in our gospel stories of Jesus as Lord. And it comes from Elizabeth. It comes from Elizabeth. So here she has been waiting in the sacred space, wondering what's going to be born. What has happened? How has this happened to me? My husband can't talk. No one can tell me what's going on. And here comes Mary, another one surprised by being with child. And these two mothers, these two mothers birth hope into a world that isn't yet looking for it, but longing for wholeness and wondering where it will come from. So these two, these two women meet. Mary then stays with Elizabeth up almost to the time John is born and then returns back, back home. So this meeting, this meeting of these two persons in this space where they don't know what for sure is happening, but together they can trust that each other's story is true. Have you ever needed someone to tell your story in a way that you knew they would trust it was true, you know? Have that sacred recognition that this is true for you as it is for me. Well, I don't know about you, but a womb is a wonderful place that provides nourishment and environment for growth, for something new to be born. And there's a point in time, though, where those wombs can only stretch so far. You know, I remember my sister 20 years younger than me, pregnant with her baby kicking and round as she could be. You know, something has to happen. The womb is a place for that sacredness to be born and grow in, but then it has to be released into the world. Something has to be born from it, from those nine months journey of possible silence, hearing only what's allowed. Well, we create sacred spaces and we grow out of them into new spaces. They help us enter the world in different ways. Once upon a time in my life when I had just separated from a partner of 10 years, I was wondering what God had in store for me and I wasn't sure what it was. It was one of those times when I really didn't want to share too much with other people because it still hurt a little bit too much. And I wasn't sure that they'd be able to walk with me into the space that I was in at that point in time. So I got this book, it's called Shelter of the Spirit by Victoria Moran. And as I read it, she started talking about things to do to take care of yourself, things to do to give your spirit shelter. And one of the things I latched onto I thought was quite interesting. I wasn't ready for someone new in my life yet, but what she said is, create a space for a possibility that you can't yet see. Create a space for a possibility that you don't yet know what it is. And so her suggestion was to have an empty closet in your home. And not even that, an empty room if you had the space to do so. And so I was in my condo down in Montrose that had two bathrooms, two bedrooms, and I had an empty closet and an empty space. And you know what? About six months later, Walter showed up. He more than filled that space. <laughs> he more than filled that space. We have a wonderful way of teasing each other. Sometimes sacred space means different things to different people. Sometimes sacred space means subtraction. You take away things so that life is simpler. You take away things so that you can focus on what's important for you. And that's one of the ways I experience sacred space. 
I like to be in an empty room with nothing around me. I like to look at one of those paintings at Rothko Chapel that's just one color that's very simple. For me, I find those things to be very simple and sacred. To Walter, this is anathema. You know? His sacred space has things in it. His sacred space has the familiar objects around him that are close. You know, like at bedtime when the kid puts all their stuffed animals around them and lines them close up next to them, and that becomes their safe place. Walter loves things, and for him, they bring joy. And so we've had this ongoing uh, argument in our relationship about how we have sacred space together as a couple. And we bought some new furniture, some school cubbies, together. We thought they were pretty wood, oak, stained. Used to sit at the back of elementary school classrooms where kids would put their lunch boxes, those kind of things. And we bought three of them. We stacked them up high on top of each other. And as we stacked them up high on top of each other, we decided we would share these together. And he would have half of the little cubby spaces, and I would have half of the little cubby spaces. Within 24 hours, all of his was filled, and he was ready to use mine. You know, just important stuff to him. He's ready to use mine. And I hadn't figured out what I was going to use mine for. About a week later, I decided I was going to use mine for space. And I was going to leave them just as they were. It drove Walter crazy. He said, no, this has value for me. This has value for me to be able to rest and look at these spaces of emptiness and wonder what God might be doing in that place that isn't full yet. This is important to me. So whether you subtract away things or whether you add things for your sacred space, both are journeys that you can go on to find a habit what's comfortable to you to invite God into that place in that moment. Here at Resurrection, we have a drum circle. Drum circle, I believe, is one of those adding places. You get as many of your friends as you can around you, as many groups, and then you start drumming together, and it becomes a spiritual moment for those involved. You know, the path is multiple, multiple routes, multiple ways to get to where we need to go to find sacred space. Whether you're adding things or objects to contemplate on or to meditate on, or you're adding sound in order to overwhelm you and have you join in one body together, whatever it is, subtraction or addition, this Advent, we ask you to be aware of what it is that helps you find sacred space and to recognize God in that place, in that moment. There's a story about Susanna Wesley, mother of John and Charles Wesley, who were the founders of the Methodist Church. Susanna had 17 children. 17 children. My. Think that woman could find a sacred space? So what Susanna would do is she would take the apron that she wore all the time, and whenever it was too much for her, she would throw her apron up over her head. All 17 kids knew that mama was in her sacred space, in the place where they were not to bother her at that moment in time, and that she would, in those moments, say her prayers. It was actually her devotion time she did with her apron over her head. So this season, where is your sacred space? Where you can find yourself over and over again, whether a drum circle or a rocking chair or coffee with friends, what is it? that helps you know who you are and maybe leaves an opening for God to grow right there. Clergy person Richard Wills Sr. contributes to the African American Lectionary and he writes this about Advent. 
He talks about being a kid, and he wonders about all the times when he went for the biggest box first, you know, because that was the best. He went for the biggest box first and, and worked his way down to the smaller boxes, and he remembers that with joy as he would do that. And then he found out later that size really wasn't everything when it came to Christmas presents. And sometimes the big box was not the, the best object for him to get first. And he asks us to wonder about God and Mary this season. Richard says, I've discovered since then that Advent has much less to do with the size of the box and much more to do with the size of our thoughts, the extent of our hope, the nature of our dreams. That is why the first Advent, that is what it was all about. Hope and joy wasn't hinged on the size of the box or the height of a highly decorated tree. It was hinged on the size, the capacity, if you will, of Mary's thoughts, her dreams, and a God who loved her enough to help her dream big. The first Advent would have looked altogether different if the ordinary Mary did not discover the capacity to embrace and affirm and appropriate an extraordinary dream. Luke tells us what happens when she becomes available for a prophetic moment. Are you ready for a dream to be born? A dream that you may not even be able to see fully yet. Are you ready for a beginning to come into your life? Advent is here to prepare us for that. Those strategic places where you wait and pray and invite God. We've been in a strategic planning process at Resurrection. And you know what? January is going to be nine months. It's about time for something to be born, don't you think? Well, we're in our third trimester right now. So keep us in your prayers as we wait and wonder what God's going to be doing in that sacred space that you've participated in in many ways. Sacred space restores us, helps us know who we are, and prepares us to be a part of the world. And how we are a part of the world is important. A lot's been going on in our world where some sacred space would be helpful. Sometimes some die-ins, sometimes the yelling, sometimes some violence, all to make a point. My most wonderful hope is that we're able in our country and in our world to have what happened in South Africa, where after years of hurt and pain and systemic oppression and injustice, change occurred, but they knew change couldn't be accompanied without the truth. They knew that change could only occur if the stories were told and the stories were heard, and that people would listen to one another fully. And out of that place, then, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was born. And through these wombs that they created, where people shared the hurt and the hope together, people crossed boundaries and were able to listen to stories they didn't want to believe before. And in those places, they actually were able to go to a place of reconciliation that created a new country. It's not perfect, but it's a way to take a step forward. And what you see in this picture is Nelson Mandela receiving from Bishop Tutu the report of all the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions. In those books are the stories that they can come back to, to know who they are and know who they want to be now. In our sacred spaces, we're not only called to find ourselves, but we're called to heal the world. We're called to participate in a dream so big a dream so big that God gives God's self to us. Thanks be to God. Amen.